0: The blue line held in by Duchesne. Duchesne's passes
1: deep to Taylor to Gretzky. He scores! He's done it! Wayne Gretzky, the great one, has become the greatest of them all. The leading scorer in the history of the National Hockey League. You're listening to All the Kings Men, the official podcast of the Los Angeles Kings. Now, here's your host, Jesse Cohen.
2: Welcome back, Kings fans. My name is Jesse Cohen. This is All the Kings Men. Sorry for abandoning you in July, but we are back. Uh, Real hockey is still a month away, but you can consider this the kickoff to the 2018-19 LA Kings season here at All the Kings Men. We're going to be introducing some new segments and regular contributors to the podcast this season. Since today is the anniversary of the Gretzky trade, I thought I'd kick off the new season with our first installment of This Week in Kings History with Mike Comito. Uh, You'll hear from Mike later in the podcast, but first I went into the archive, found a conversation I had a few years ago with the late, great David Courtney about the day of the press conference introducing Gretzky and the Kings New Jerseys to L.A. For newer fans, uh, David Courtney wore lots of hats during his time with the Kings, but was probably most familiar to Kings fans as the PA announcer uh, until his tragic passing in 2012. After that clip, you'll hear from King's GM Rob Blake uh, on his personal experience playing with the Great One. Then we'll introduce Mike, do some further exploration of the Gretzky trade, and find out just how one becomes a hockey historian. And of course, I couldn't do an episode about Wayne Gretzky without speaking to the Royal Half. Never miss an episode of All the Kings Men by subscribing to the podcast. Subscription links and recent episodes can be found at lakings.com/podcast.
1: it was it was very surreal because at first it was just something that was hinted at even in in our our offices that gosh this this could happen and then it became more and more apparent that it would and i think i wrote the uh the press release for the announcement probably 20 times and you know refining it and such and had it on my computer under lock and key uh trying to hold it and Anything like that, you know, the word is going to sneak out sooner or later, and just the uh, deniability of uh, trying to keep it quiet until it actually came time was was so difficult. Uh, but uh, in, on top of that, we were redesigning the uniforms at the time, and I was put in charge of that as well. Okay, uh, that the change, word. Yeah. Uh, we we were kind of a small uh, operation in those days uh, until Mr. McNall came in, and uh, uh, the uh, responsibility of uh, changing the uniforms – and we didn't have a graphics department. We didn't have a, you know, a big organization of uh, designers come up with this. It was a jersey that uh, Rogie Vashon had saw Luke Robitaille wearing when he was with the Hall Olympics and brought it back. And we kind of did huh. a little bit of modifications to it with the league. And we got that jersey uh, that Wayne wore that night. That was the first full-designed jersey of that, that uh, design. Uh uh, it came to uh, the hotel about 2 hours before the uh, press uh, announcement that night and uh, put it on and it was <laughs> it was a scary time knowing that we really didn't have uh, a full jersey ready for him at the at the moment
2: joining me now G- general manager of the LA Kings Rob Blake how are you doing today Rob
3: I'm good Jesse how are you
2: I'm excellent thank you now look ordinarily uh there's only a small handful of players that we would uh that we would consider having a better resume than yourself. And uh, Kings fans are familiar with the one we're talking about today, and that's Wayne Gretzky, Um, the 30th anniversary of the trade that brought him to L.A. You wind up being drafted uh, just a few months before that trade happens. In the few months between your being drafted and the trade happening, what was your impression of the Kings and the franchise and and just the notion of hockey in L.A. before that trade happens?
3: Yeah, I mean, I didn't have a you know much of a knowledge at the time. Obviously, I, I was at uh, Bowling Green going to university. So drafted by the Kings um, in, in Montreal, I went down to the draft and and, and you met some of the, um, the the management and different things. But you know, for the course of the next couple months, it wasn't a lot of contact, especially back then. Uh, you know, I was going back to school and I knew that so. Uh, but, you know, the the day the trade happened and, and they changed the colors and, you know, just the excitement around the franchise probably brought a lot more knowledge to me of the LA Kings.
2: You're a 70th overall pick. Um, you're playing in Bowling Green and the team that's drafted you goes out and gets uh, arguably the greatest player of all time at the peak of his powers. Uh, did you have any impression that that might be a huge boon to your career? Were you excited? Was it... I mean, how did how did your vision of the franchise change after that change?
3: Well, I, I don't know if it changed as much right after that trade. Like I said, I was pretty naive to the whole structure of the LA Kings. Um, you know, the uh, limited information, limited viewing. <laughs> you know, I don't, I don't think back then I had too many games on TV. Um, so I, I, I think what happened the day of the trade was just the excitement around that franchise. But yeah, to be able to play with the the greatest player in the world uh, you know or, or, or have that potential to play with him um you know i was still pretty far away from that uh but but yeah that was definitely exciting
2: so you joined the team a few years later gretzky's already sort of transformed the the market um how important was it for you as a young player to have a player of his stature there for you to sort of guide you into the league
3: well you know when i look at it now you know, it was a huge impact just to see the way he operated, not only on the ice. I think we all see that, but uh, but off the ice and, and, and the handling of of all the expectations around uh, him being such a uh, you know a prominent player in the NHL. But you know, just the lifestyle around the Kings at the time with with Bruce McNall, with Wayne Gretzky, and for me, just coming right out of college and and you know playing my first game with the LA Kings. Uh, you know, I I thought that was normal. I I thought it was normal to have celebrities in the dressing room right after the game. I thought it was normal to have your own plane to travel on. Because that's what I was brought into. And, and, you know, when I look back now, it was such a fortunate situation. And, uh, you know, to be around that excitement that surrounded the Kings for those years and and be part of it was, uh, you know, something i always remember.
2: Fans like to... Imagine what it's like in a locker room and have these fights about what makes a good captain and and all of these, you know, sort of imaginary conversations. Uh, Wayne was a captain while you were in L.A. You preceded him and and were a captain as well in San Jose. What lessons did you learn from him uh, about being a captain uh, on and off the ice?
3: Yes, the the availability, probably uh, one of the main things, he, he, regardless of the outcome or regardless of, of the situation on the ice, he had to be available and had to be the spokesman for the team, uh, you know, through good and bad. Um, you know, he was always in that spotlight, uh, you know, more than anybody at that time, for sure um but just the the effect he had on on young players and and I, uh, you know the you know welcoming them to the team and, and making you feel part of it i i think he had a, a a real good grasp of of all that and yeah definitely learned a lot of that stuff from him
2: there's few people in the world of sports few people in the world at all really who have to deal with that level of celebrity you played with them on the kings you played with them on international teams i'm curious if you got a sense of of his perspective on on what that was like, you know, being Wayne Gretzky.
3: Yeah, no, I'm not sure any of us will ever understand it. But to, you know, just a, a a typical game in L.A. Um, you know, in between periods, he's the trainers have uh, you know memorabilia ready for him to be uh, signed in between periods from other teams. You know, it was, but that was normal. We'd walk in the dressing room, there'd be a table there, and you know, there'd be 10 or 12 items from the other team that were playing that they want signed by Wayne Gretzky. So, so he'd come in, he would sign them during the, the intermission and, you know, put his equipment back on and go out for the second period. But, but that was normal. Like, I, I, I didn't realize that that doesn't happen, <laughs> you know. So there was a lot of that that I got thrown into. And, and you know, I just uh, I just took it as, okay, this is what everybody does. But, you know, he was he was on a whole new level.
2: He's got his number retired uh, by the Kings and by the league. He's got a statue outside of Staples Center. Do you ever take a beat and realize that your number is right up there with his and and you've got a, a representation of yourself on the on a statue outside of Staples as well? Does that ever do you ever take a moment and say like you know, we're on the same pan- sort of part of the same pantheon at some level?
3: Yeah, um, no, you know, no. Obviously, you appreciate your time with LA, and and you hope to do as much as you can for the franchise and similar levels, uh, you know, to to Wayne and 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 the aspect that you want to grow, you want to grow hockey. You want to make the the Kings franchise one of the top ones. But uh, you know, like I said, he he was always on a a whole different level than any other player that I ever played with. And, uh, you know, it it was that way when you walked in the room and you saw other players, or you saw teammates, uh, uh, you know, just the the different level he was on. And and he continues that today. I mean, you know, I was in in Toronto last week at the uh, and and watching the golf tournament and and they were talking about Wayne Gretzky with Dustin Johnson. And it it just shows the the level that he continues to be at uh, amongst hockey fans.
2: Hockey's obviously a, a totally different sport than, you know, basketball or baseball. It's not as easy for one guy to to influence the uh the fortunes of a team. Is there a player today that you think maybe not culturally, but on the ice has the opportunity to have the same sort of impact on the game as as Wayne Gretzky? Uh,
3: you know, I I think over the course of the, you know, past 10 plus years, I think Sidney Crosby is at a at a level very similar Um, you know, play wise winning championships, but, but also uh, the following that he has when he goes into other buildings, you know, I'm not sure anybody's going to be at the level Wayne was. I mean, we we used to travel, uh, you know, and get in late three or four in the morning and there would be, you know, hundreds of people waiting for his autograph when we get off the bus,
1: you know, it just, it,
3: it was every day. It was constant. He dealt with it. Um, you know, you, you see Sidney Crosby in, in, in today's world and and having to deal with with different situations like that. Uh, but I I think a lot of their top guys in the NHL right now they they do that and 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 they accept it because that's the position they're in.
2: A bit of a weird question now. Uh, do we have teams in Phoenix and Vegas and Florida and Nashville because Wayne Gretzky came to the Kings or? Did Wayne Gretzky have to come to the Kings because because the league had to expand?
3: Yeah, I, well, no, I, I think there's a direct impact to those teams being in the NHL right now due to Wayne Gretzky, just the height around and and you know we were involved there a couple of years after he got traded here, and we'd go on in training camp and we played you know eight to ten exhibition games in all neutral sites and all these different sites in Florida and. You know, in Arizona, in in Vegas, um, you know, all all these sites that now have franchises, uh, Bruce McNall took Wayne Gretzky around and showed everybody what it was all about. So, yeah, 100% there's a direct, you know, result or direct impact of all these other franchises because Wayne Gretzky came to L.A.
2: Last question before I let you get back to uh, fixing all the Kings problems. Um, We spoke to a former teammate of yours, Jamie Storr, during the 50th anniversary, and he told a story about um, Wayne taking he and, and Matt Johnson yeah. out to, to a restaurant. And, you know, they realized <laughs> that the restaurant had stayed open a few hours later, just, just for them, do you have a moment, you know, a Wayne Gretzky moment that you can share with the fans? Obviously I'm sure there's plenty that you can't.
3: Yeah, no, I remember he hosted a new year's Eve, uh, I think it was new year's Eve party for the team, maybe a Christmas or new year's Eve party. And, uh, I think he was living in beverly hills at the time but he rented the house next to him for the party <laughs> and so and i have you know it was, yeah, it was over christmas holidays because i had family and I had my sister and my brother in and uh, you know he was pretty welcoming to to people that had the family and they all come there and you know my family's from canada so wayne gretzky was you know obviously such a high impact but i you know just to be able to walk in there with your family and and, and show them uh, you know the times that he did but he was really good about taking care of all his teammates in, in all situations. I think he understood the level he was at and, and, and the expectations that came with it, but he was, a uh, he was real good at making sure all his teammates, uh, had a good time at wherever we went. So, you know, there was, uh, there's, there's numerous stories of, him uh, hosting parties or, or, or taking the guys out on the road and, and just making sure you felt comfortable as a teammate. Excellent.
2: Well, I want to thank you very much for your time, Rob. No problem. And uh, hopefully we'll talk to you soon in the coming season. Thanks, Jesse. Joining me now for a new segment that will hopefully be recurring weekly, Mike Camito with This Week in Kings History. How are you doing today, Mike? Doing well, Jesse. How about you? I'm good, thank you. So I wanted to kick off this segment. We've been talking to each other for uh, for a while now with possibly – the biggest moment in Kings history, possibly the biggest moment in league history. Uh, does that sound right to yeah. you? Of course, we're talking about the trade of Wayne Gretzky from the Edmonton Oilers to the LA Kings thirty years ago.
4: Yeah,
0: the trade. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's fair to say for sure, arguably the the biggest moment in Kings history, and I think you're you're bang on to to suggest that it's uh, it was a turning point uh, in league history as well, and probably one of the biggest moments, um, especially in the last thirty years for sure.
2: Hockey's such a different sport than than the than say basketball where you know every off season now it seems like now whatever big star moves from one team to another it feels like the entire you know framework of the league changes and you know LeBron James comes to the Lakers and now the debate is you know can the Lakers make the finals um hockey doesn't quite work that way and yet Wayne Gretzky comes to LA in 1988 um, I feel like there were a, a, a bunch of other factors that don't get discussed in terms of the trade. We have Gary Bettman shortly, uh, shortly after that named the league's first commissioner. Mm-hmm. Um, you have the Mighty Ducks franchise that gets launched, the film franchise, which I think plays a huge role in building a new generation of hockey fans. But from your perspective as a, uh, a self-styled hockey historian, um, what are some of the impacts of the Gretzky trade?
0: Well, I think that obviously outside of the, the actual on-ice impact and, and what it did uh, to the Kings franchise, I think that, uh, you know, Gretzky coming to Hollywood and, and you know, taking on that, that celebrity status and really does bring, you know, that star power and that, that sell-out attraction factor to the Kings because the the following season, the Kings sell-out their, their season over for the first time in, uh, in franchise history. And really what that does is, is that celebrity that Gretzky has in Los Angeles, it's it really does in conjunction with all of the other things that are happening culturally with uh, you know the the film franchise you just referenced being launched and you know Gary Bedman coming into office and we know you know where he took the the trajectory of the league, but Gretzky really does you know significantly increase the popularity of hockey in the United States because of that uh that star factor that he brings and ultimately that kind of leads to you know the perpetuation of hockey throughout the states, especially as it as the league starts to uh uh, into those sunbelt areas. And I really think it does. Um, the, the factors that we don't really talk about as much is is all the inadvertent things that, that the trade had caused and the impact that it had on on the Canadian markets. Uh, and I think that, again, even today, 30 years out, uh, we can still see that even by looking at uh, you know different teams across the league and the impact that the trade had. Again, uh, I am an unabashed Leafs fan. So, I mean, <laughs> for me, uh, I think one of the, the quirky little things that comes out of all this is that, you know, when Gretzky goes to the Kings, um, you know, and, and his, his salary significantly increases when he becomes a, a member of, the, uh, of of Los Angeles, and that in turn leads to a dramatic rise in salaries across the league. And so by the, by the early 1990s, you know, the Canadian dollar is struggling. There's this dramatic rise of player salaries. So you have clubs like uh, the Winnipeg Jets and the Quebec Nordiques that are struggling, and they ultimately both relocate. Uh, we know that the Jets, you know, go to Arizona where they become – the Coyotes, you know, a young Austin Matthews growing up in Scottsdale gets attracted to the game, you know, becoming a Coyotes fan. And then here you have it, you know, 28 years later, he's he's a Toronto Maple Leaf because of that expansion of that relocation of the team, uh, you know, to the deserts. And ultimately piquing his interest in the sport uh, that he may otherwise not have played had, you know, this whole evolution caused, caused by the Greskin State happened uh, on August 9th, 1988.
2: It's funny that you went that route. I thought you were going to take the uh, <clears throat> the highly pessimistic route that I uh, am fond of taking, where you know Gretzky comes to L.A. as you mentioned, his contract blossoms, and then all of a sudden uh, he and Lemieux get in a a sort of a a, um, a a contract war for a few seasons, and all of a sudden yeah. you have an explosion in contracts um, fueled by two owners. Who, if I'm not mistaken, both wind up spending time in prison for fra- yeah. for fraud. <laughs> uh, so you have the two biggest stars in the league on arguably the two teams that could least afford them, uh, and then we wind up with a lockout. <laughs> That's sort of the route. Yeah. That's sort of the the bigger impact I take. And then you know, of course, the Kings wind up in bankruptcy and and et cetera, et cetera, and and it's sort of this restructuring of the finances of the league right Gretzky comes to LA it shines a spotlight on the sport it it expands maybe arguably too quickly but then that gives Bettman the opportunity to sort of reshape how how the entire league is run um the question I'm always fascinated by is does all of this happen does the last 30 years of the evolution of the sport occur because Gretzky came to LA or were we on the precipice of that evolution happening anyway, and and Gretzky coming to LA was was almost, I don't want to say inevitable, but but was was Gretzky coming to an LA a symptom of the, of the movement that was already in place, or did him coming to LA really actually catalyze the changes?
0: Yeah, I think I think Gretzky coming to LA would have been the catalyst. I mean, we know that he was inevitably going to leave the Oilers because at the time. The club's owner, Peter Pocklington, was was absolutely cash strapped. His his non hockey businesses were were flailing and so or failing, sorry, and so he, he needed the money regardless. So it was just a matter of time where Gretzky was gonna go somewhere, right? And ultimately ended up being the Kings. But I think Gretzky going, you know, to Los Angeles really kind of makes I think the vision that, you know, that someone like Gary Bedman who comes in and becomes commissioner and and is, you know, vying for that lucrative uh US television deal again and the way to do that would be through expansion but without Gretzky kind of uh, you know, taking that foothold in in Los Angeles and, you know, in Hollywood, uh I think that route would have been far more challenging. That's not to say it couldn't have happened, but ultimately without landing that star power um in Los Angeles it it would have who knows how long it would have taken. Uh there might have been a whole
3: bunch of different routes
0: it could have gone, but ultimately I think that that Gretzky landing uh with the Kings was really uh was was the way that, that allowed this this I guess this vision to progress because again you had you had this viable product that you could market and sell hockey in the United States and, and market him as this all star, you know, celebrity figure.
2: You mentioned Peter Pocklington, just one more <laughs> One more controversial owner in this story. Yeah, um, but Mike, the reason that that you are, uh, you know, my go-to guy for this week in Kings history is that you have uh, one of the most fascinating job titles I think in hockey, which is your team historian for the Sudbury Wolves. Um, now this is a yeah. conver- this is a, a position and a job that uh, I, you know, you and I, I feel like the first time you and I talked about the notion of teams having a historian was maybe three or four years ago.
0: Yeah, that sounds about right. I mean, it's always been, uh, I think a passion of mine and I've been pretty vocal, you know, on social media, on Twitter about, you know, chronicling how many teams have so-called historians or archivists and, you know, trying to, to trying to identify where there may be some vacancies because ultimately I think, uh, I, I, unabashedly, that's been my, my goal, uh, for a long time is to try to, you know, supply myself in an NHL organization with, uh, you know, from the history angle.
2: So, how do you, how do you convince the Sudbury Wolves that they need a historian? How many teams have historians? And then tell us about, uh, your book, uh, ab- yeah. about hockey history.
0: <laughs> uh, yeah, absolutely. So, uh, the Wolves, I think, you know, before I actually talked to the Wolves, um, you know, I was actually, I took the time, I, this was after, uh, I finished my PhD now would have been three years ago in in Canadian history. So that's where the whole history angle comes from is that, you know, that's what I went to school for, for, for 12 years. I had, uh, you know, studied it, researched it. uh, And actually I came about it from a very different angle. My, my dissertation actually focused on the history of black bear hunting and management in Ontario, if you can believe that. And, but while I was doing that, you know, uh, I had to kind of fill my day with other things other than, uh going through documents about black bears being shot or black bears going through people's garbage cans you know i that's when i really realized that i could take the skills i have as a historian and apply them to my love of hockey so that leads me down the path where i start to do some writing uh in hockey history it eventually leads to uh you know my first regular blogging with with the royal half uh a few years ago and then ultimately as i start to get more and more into it and i I really start to i think carve out this niche as, as a hockey historian I started to approach NHL teams emailing their their communications or PR departments to find out, you know, do they have a hockey historian on staff? Uh, and for the most part, team most teams do not. Uh, there's a few, uh, and I haven't updated the, my little catalog regularly, uh, but there were a few that had, uh, they have somebody in that capacity where they're uh, you know, they've either covered the team for a long time you know as a former journalist they've been kind of brought on in that uh in that role to serve that uh that go-to uh source of information there are other teams that do have uh, genuine uh, archivists that are responsible for curating all of the team's materials but for the most part they wouldn't have somebody like me who's a professionally trained historian who's in place to kind of catalog uh the team's history and, and engage with the fans by 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 utilizing that history and so uh, that was a goal of mine. The closest I've, I've come to, I think, having that conversation with an NHL club was the Hurricanes. Uh, this was back earlier in the season when, uh, you know, when when Tom Dundon came aboard, and I immediately saw that as an opportunity, that here's a new owner who seems to be keen on shaking things up. And so I emailed them, and that actually led to a couple conversations. But ultimately, given the, the turnover they've had this year with the organization, I think it's kind of an idea that they're going to put on the back burner. But it was interesting to see that this is a team – uh, that is keen to embrace its history, especially you know, obviously the the whalers legacy. And so that's that's um that would be the ultimate goal is to end up with an NHL club. Uh, but ultimately the Wolves play made sense because I live in Sudbury, Ontario. You know, we're four hours uh, north of, of Toronto and currently being engulfed by flames as as forest fires burn all around us. So hopefully <laughs> they keep those flames at bay. But ultimately um, for me it, it was a natural fit. Um, you know, I'd known I done some stuff for the Wolves in the past uh, to kind of help them celebrate their history. I've been a longtime fan, you know, calling Sudbury home since I was 15. And so uh, a colleague of mine, uh, Mark Kulberg, and I had actually approached the
2: team a few years
0: ago about writing um, a, an, an anniversary book at the time It was for the club's 45th anniversary. So it didn't really, I think, make a lot of sense from that perspective when the 50th is coming up in 2022. So we kind of shelved that idea. New ownership came on about uh, a couple years ago. And we re reengage them with the idea of doing the silver anniversary of the 50th in 2022. Uh, ultimately, I think that's still a goal of mine to work with Mark to to develop that book. But for now, uh, the team had decided that maybe a, a way to satisfy you know my interest in, in sharing the Wolves' history and their interest in kind of engaging the fans by, by using that history, they brought me on in this role as, as team historian. So it's my job now. Uh, it's not my full-time job. I still have a full-time gig at Cambridge College, but... This is certainly where most of my hockey history efforts go these days is is to you know find these interesting Wolves history stories, uh, share them, engage with the alumni, uh, and engage with the fans and use that history to kind of bring everybody together as a way to celebrate not only what's happening on the ice this season, but also to look back from the past and say, you know, we've got some really cool stories and the team has a rich history that, you know, despite the struggles we've had recently, there is there's always a, a reason to
2: celebrate. One of the things that fascinated me the most about – the state of hockey arc- archivism is that the word uh, is that nobody was keeping tapes of the games, either on the team level or the broad ca- the network level um, during the eighties or nineties. I don't know when it actually started. So if you wanted to watch the game where Wayne Gretzky breaks Gordy Howe's eight hundred and second goal, I'm not sure that anybody actually. Ha- you know, I think you might have to go into one of these weird you know, collector uh, communities online where people are swapping DVDs like their Grateful Dead concert tapes because nobody was nobody was keeping track. I think everybody just assumed somebody else was on it. Um it's it's fascinating yeah. to me. So let's talk about your book though, Hockey three sixty five. Is that the is that the correct title? Do I have that right? Yeah, yeah. So, uh, so it is it... go sorry, go ahead. No, no, go ahead. It's all good. Well, I was uh, going to say, in terms of the Gretzky trade, um, I'm assuming it made the book.
0: <laughs> yes, I think it would be. Uh, I think I'd have to answer to a few people if, if that if that trade did, if the trade did not make the book. So as uh, as far as I know, uh, you know, I'm wor- working from an earlier draft that I have right now. It was uh, page 257. Uh, it is the entry for August 9th, and so I I do devote uh, a full page in the book to that. And, and as you mentioned, it is. Hockey 365, and so the book, um, the format of the book is 365 uh, hockey history stories. So one for every day of the year. Although I keep saying 365, it's actually 366, but doesn't have that same ring to it, and that's because (laughs) I did include an extra one there for to account for leap years. So it is these these daily hockey history type stories, um, you know, similar to a word of the day calendar. Uh, so every day, every flip of the page, you have a different hockey history story, uh, from across the year, you know, that chronicles a lot of these n- notable moments, like, uh, like the Gretzky trade, uh, and some of his other more uh, notable anniversaries as, as a member of the Kings.
2: Well, I'm glad to hear that you're thorough and not skipping over, uh, uh leap years. Is there a, a brief excerpt or, uh, or, or, or clip, I suppose you could share from, uh, for us from the, uh, from the Gretzky trade?
1: Yeah,
0: absolutely. So, uh, I, I could read, uh, I guess the intro to the, to the page and we can see how far uh, we get. And then I'll probably shut it down if it's, if it's going on too long, but, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I always try to, I try, always try to hook the reader in, in, in a different way. And so this, this one is from, from that trade, uh, which was August 9th, 1988. And so just read uh, something from that really quickly. So it turned the hockey world upside down on August 9th, 1988, the Edmonton Oilers traded Wayne Gretzky to the Los Angeles Kings. Sold is probably a better word as money was at the heart of the deal. Gretzky, the greatest player in the world, was coming off his fourth Stanley Cup in Edmonton and his eighth straight-hard trophy as the league's most valuable player. But Oilers owner Peter Pocklington was cash-strapped, and trading the great one would catch a, uh, fetch a King's ransom. In return for sending Gretzky, along with Marty McSorley and Mike Kruselnitsky, to Los Angeles, Edmonton received Jimmy Carson, Martin Angelina, three first-round draft picks, and $15 million. And that's kind of where uh, where it begins, um, for, for that page, I kind of talk about uh, the backlash that happened in Edmonton. And again, after after that trade happened, you had Peter Plotkin was burned in effigy. You had Oilers fans, uh, you know, jamming the phone lines, trying to demand uh, refunds for their season tickets or at least find out what the heck was going on. Um, I think one of my favorite, uh, is, and this quote didn't make the book, but uh, I do have a quote about, uh, at the time, Nelson Reese, who was uh, the new Democratic Party uh, representative for Kamloops British Columbia you know he had made this emphatic plea in the house of commons and you know some of it was satirical afterwards but he did liken Wayne Gretzky to a national treasure (laughs) and had argued that the government should somehow intervene to keep uh, this national symbol in Canada Uh, and one of the quotes that that I didn't include in the book was that he refers to you know the oilers without Gretzky is like apple pie without ice cream like winter with like winter without snow like Wheel of Fortune without Vanna White. Uh, and so for him, he really lamented the, the, the idea that, you know, Wayne Gretzky was going from Edmonton, this hockey city, to, to Los Angeles, where he even makes this quip that, you know, he's going to Los Angeles where they wouldn't know a beach ball from a puck. Uh, and that soon quickly changes once Gretzky arrives, as we know, and, you know, fans of, of all types, especially the celebrities, start to come out in, in greater numbers as they support this team, with, with Gretzky uh, leading the charge.
2: Well, it's all, it's all, uh, <clears throat> I, I came stumbling on the phrase uh, we all know what happens after that, obviously. Um, Mike, I want to thank you for joining me.
0: Thank you. My pleasure.
2: Uh, and we will speak to you again in a week uh, when we talk about next week in King's History, probably less impactful uh, in compared to this week.
0: Yeah, I was going to say, you set the bar pretty high by, uh, by leading with, <laughs> with the trade, and so I'll have to try to measure up week in week out but i'm sure we can come up with something uh just as, as interesting but probably not as significant.
2: yeah august august probably a slow month as far as uh this weekend <laughs> but yeah uh, for sure uh you know that's usually the dog days of
0: summer in the off season but obviously a trade like that uh, certainly changes uh you
2: know the hockey landscape and
0: the history of the game
2: uh, let people know uh where they can follow you on twitter if they want to mike
0: yeah, so they can, you can find me on Twitter at uh, Mike Comito, so it's C O M M I T O. And that's where I do uh, I'm tirelessly trying to promote the book right now, which you can pre order still on Amazon and, uh, or chapters if you're in Canada. Uh, the book comes out on September 8th. And, and again, that's, you'll, if you go to my Twitter account, that's where you're going to find all of my hockey history work uh, and my daily hockey history snapshots that, you know, form central pieces in, in the book as well.
2: You should check it out, Kingsman. He's a good follow, an even better guy. Thanks again, Mike.
0: Thank you, Jesse. Appreciate it.
2: Joining me now, the Grasky to my Robotide, the Royal Half. How are you doing tonight, man?
4: I'm doing really well, uh, Jesse, and I'm really excited to talk about eighth grade.
2: <laughs> I will never see that movie nor talk about that movie. Or were you actually Wait, talking about oh, the eighth grade? <laughs> oh.
4: Gretzky trade I thought you said <laughs> you wanted to do a summer podcast about 8th grade oh man <laughs> alright
2: well I'll talk to you later then <laughs> now that we've dated ourselves
4: wait uh, why, Wait. why won't you see 8th grade I haven't seen it but I heard it's, it's
2: great I'm, like I'm sure this. it is I have a little sister who just completed the 8th grade and I and
4: what a better way to connect with her more by saying hey sis <laughs> I, I, I know how it is
2: I know I, I saw the movie it's if I've got that'd be it. like her. Wait, wait. That'd be
4: like her saying, "Oh, uh, I don't want to watch Mystery Alaska because my brother's really into hockey. Like, I don't understand."
2: I'm your... all. I'm all for people not watching Mystery Alaska.
4: <laughs> CC Jim Fox. <laughs> uh,
2: so look, the 30th anniversary of the Gretzky trade is. Oh my god! What have I done honest. with my life? Well, so uh, yeah, years. 30 years. I had
4: wait to... wait. Can not you just replay our conversation for the 25th anniversary of the Gretzky trade? <laughs> Just see if anyone Probably. notices the difference,
2: right? I'm sure I, we did. I think the the uh, the the pop culture references might have shifted us slightly.
4: I feel like there's much less fanfare for the 30th anniversary than there was for like. I, I feel like the 25th anniversary there was. Well, you know what? The athletic wasn't around in five years ago, so maybe there wasn't like a ton of and, articles. Uh, you know, and,
2: to the best of my knowledge there there haven't been any released yet but i fully expect that this week will be full of them um
4: and you're ahead of it jesse you're way ahead.
2: well this will be coming out on the day so no one as will long know. as i'm not <laughs> on this podcast with anybody else it's
4: just you and me talking to each other just, i'm okay with that. just
2: jesse. you and me nobody else but i had to talk to you so the question i have for you is this now 30 years later uh yeah i'd do it again
4: i would do it again <laughs> i would i would I would fall in love with the LA Kings in 1988 all over again.
2: But if the Gretzky trade happens and he winds up in Detroit or New York, as we now have discovered were the other options, is there even a royal half? Nope. Nope. No, not at all?
4: Not at all. No. I mean, I mean, no. Uh, I I, I was aware of the sport of hockey. hmm I, I think I've told the story in the podcast before, but I'll, you have a lot of new listeners, a lot of young, young listeners. Mm-hmm who are, you know, four years old, so they've never heard the, <laughs> the five-year-old podcast. Uh, my, my family, I, they didn't have Senate seats, as they used to call them at the forum, which were basically like season seats for everything, but we were friends with people that had Senate seats, so they would, you know, parse out, oh, here's a Lakers ticket, here's a Kings ticket, here's a mm-hmm. LA Lasers indoor hockey or indoor soccer. Uh, we probably probably went to more Lasers games than we ever went to Kings games. So I was I was aware of it, but I can assure you, with a hundred percent conviction that i would not have been the the hockey fan um that i was from like 2012 to 2016 uh without <laughs> wayne gretzky uh, coming to la i haven't been the best hockey fan in the last uh, two years
2: well you've you know life life happens. yeah I, yeah i had children jesse <laughs> yeah. i had children
4: and no i what are you talking about i'm the biggest hockey fan um would you? Well, wait, you're Canadian, so it's in your blood, I guess, right?
2: Well, I mean, I don't know the answer to that question honestly because the reality is, you know, like you referenced earlier, you know, the the trade happens in before 8th grade, but but without that run to the Stanley Cup in 93 and without him, you know, breaking Howe's goal-scoring record and without all of the celebrations of his, you know, greatness over the course of his time in LA, I probably not right. Like I probably double down on my comic book fandom, and <laughs> you know, and, and doing a podcast about how much I hate the direction Green Lantern's gone in in the last five years. Um, <laughs> wow, you,
4: yeah, you really don't do that on your podcast at all. Uh, so I, I glad like that so glad that Gretzky came to LA to stop that from happening. I
2: like to think I compartmentalize pretty well, thank you. But I mean, no, I mean, I you know, obviously, my dad, uh, like you, was you friends. <laughs> my father. Uh, had uh, had had a had a friend, and they split uh, Senate seats. You know, somebody else had the account, and and my friend and or my dad and his <clears throat> my father and his friend got the Kings tickets. So I mean, we would have been going to the games before Gretzky got there, and I imagine we would have been going afterwards. But yeah, do I take it on my own? Am I sitting in the classroom, you know, writing down you know line combinations and doodling team logos in my in the margin of my homework? Probably not uh certainly i don't think the city i mean do we think this the team moves cities is sold yeah, i mean I,
4: I mean look i i don't think the team's here i mean i i don't think the team is here gretzky uh uh doesn't i mean so many things are a result not just in the los angeles landscape um but across the southern <laughs> united states in terms of hockey so i, I don't think the team you know, look, they, I, I don't want to dismiss anyone who was following this team from 1967 to, through 87. I think right. there was probably a, a very loyal fan base. But I, I, in a city of, of champions and winners, you know, th- this this team had just gone through a stretch where they had, you know, the third leading scorer of all time in the NHL, Marcel Dion, third or fourth. Like think had, he was
2: second when he retired.
4: Yeah, I mean, like he had they had they had the Gretzky before there was a Gretzky, <laughs> uh, and they couldn't do anything with it. I mean, uh, I, you and you and I love to play sliding doors, mm-hmm. right? So yep. you've got a young Luke Robitaille, a young Jimmy Carson, a young Steve Duchesne. I mean, there was a core to use one of your favorite words. <laughs> uh, tune in next week's podcast where Jesse debates the core of the '87 '88 Los Angeles <laughs> Kings, um, and and so I think it was definitely there. Um, to maybe have a good young team, but I, I don't think you'd get the coaching staffs that, that this team got, you know, I don't yeah. think you would have I, you, you know, obviously Vachon continued on as the GM for uh, a while afterwards, but I don't, I don't think you would, I don't know. I don't think you would have the attention on this particular sports franchise had had that trade never happened.
2: So this is one of my favorite unanswerable questions of all time. The mighty ducks franchise. Follows quickly on the heels of the Gretzky trade. And I'm not going to propose that the Mighty Ducks first movie happens because of the Gretzky trade. But maybe it doesn't happen if the trade doesn't go through or if he winds up in Detroit or New York. And I'm curious how many fans under the age of 35 are fans of hockey because of, or maybe not fans, but if their first exposure to hockey was the Mighty Ducks franchise, or was it some form of seeing it on TV, you know, the actual sport on TV or something, and does the Southern expansion happen because of the Gretzky trade, or is the Gretzky trade the just the first domino in the Southern expansion? Does that make any sense?
4: I, I think it's even simpler than that. I think that, that Michael Eisner's kids mm-hmm. liked hockey, right? And and because of Gretzky coming to L.A. and so he was like, "I'm the president of the biggest family entertainment group in the world. Uh, let's make a hockey movie." So I think that's where that came from. But yeah, I think th- th- that's what I mean. I mean, he had, he had a, a freaking mo- Sunday, Saturday morning cartoon. We like to, to joke about
2: it, mm-hmm. but Gretzky, man, yeah,
4: Gretzky, yeah. So I'm just saying, like, the cultural impact of him coming to Los Angeles. I mean, he's a Nike. Do you think he'd be in Nike commercials if if he was still in Edmonton? No, I I think he would have endorsements like 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 crazy like he had. There's all those great photos of him like naked, like holding a seven up (laughs) or something like that. But I, 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 I think the. You know, obviously, Michael Jordan was was the big athlete of that era and had sponsorships. But but I think Gretzky brought that. To hockey by coming to LA and I don't think if he got he could have gone to Detroit and won another 10 Stanley Cups in a row I I don't think the marketing machine would have been behind him because of the placement of uh get ready for it Jesse being in Tinseltown (laughs) uh Hollywood it's just it's just it's just you've got agents you've got marketing people you've got everybody who likes to make money off of superstars um so so that's why you know come in L.A. So I think it is a, a trickle down effect. But yeah, I think a lot of kids' first impressions were from from those movies.
2: There are so many weird. I mean, I don't.
4: I, when did those movies come out? Like ninety, the, maybe ninety. The
2: first one came out in ninety two.
4: Yeah, I mean, I was uh, I was in high school. I I, I went and saw the theaters. I mean, yeah, I was a hockey fan, but like it wasn't like just for little kids, you know?
2: No, 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 no. Well, movies. I hate to sound like, you know, an old man, but movies movies back in the kids movies in the in the 80s and 90s were a lot less sanitized, I feel like, than they are today. Maybe that's just my, you know, maybe that's recency buys or something. Um, But I feel like there were so many weird places in our childhood where hockey popped or, or early teens, whatever, where hockey popped up, whether it was in Batman movies or cartoons or weird commercials where you just go like is that just because there's a Canadian on the writing staff yeah, and they no, slipped that's... it in or, or, you know, and I would always wonder like, is that because Gretzky's here and it sort of legitimized this sport that up until that trade was just known as either slap shot or, uh, shoot, what was the movie with Moranis and, uh, oh,
4: spring strange, strange brew. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> well, it's a Canadian movie. You know, yeah. But it's like... Look, Jesse, i I'll, I'll, when you put out this podcast, I'll try to retweet, but, but, Kings fans can go to my Instagram at the Royal half. And if you scroll down after all the lame baby versus blogger things, (laughs) I I happen to be at my in-laws house one holiday and I was watching one of those weird channels that shows like old TV shows and they had an old episode of MacGyver and, and Richard Dean Anderson was like a huge hockey fan. I I think one of his press shots, he's wearing like a North stars hat in it. So Mm -hmm. he was a hockey fan, but there's a whole storyline because even though it was shot in Vancouver, it, it took place in L.A. where MacGyver wants to go to the forum to see Gretzky play. And they, and they never they never. I mean, it's 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 I think it's the Kings are playing Calgary and he spoiler alert diffuses the bomb, not by using a paperclip, Jesse, but by using the ticket stub. For, for the game, oh, wow. and and so you had, I mean, at the time, MacGyver was one of the most popular, you know, prime time shows. So even they were incorporating Gretzky into it, and so that's like that's something it, they were already getting a lot of ratings. They didn't have to double down and be like, oh, let's get the hockey audience too. It just it just kind of crossed over into the into the culture uh in a way that we. I don't think anyone who is alive that was born in the last you know 15 20 years will kind of understand everything comes into the culture so quickly now
1: mm-hmm.
4: the fact that gretzky disseminated so quickly throughout pop culture when he moved to la is like uh, unprecedented
2: he hosted saturday night live right after the trade
4: oh well, depends on your definition of
2: host <laughs> did he show up to set and read his cue cards yes but i mean that was because of the trade that was after the trade right i mean yeah, was, no, yeah absolutely yeah.
4: absolutely and i think um uh yeah no totally
2: so that brings me to a, a, a personal question about you. And Although your... if
4: we're going to rank it, I do think Joe Montana's uh, appearance was was higher ranked than, than Gretzky's.
2: You mean as far as like <laughs> cringy athlete performances yeah. on, on SNL? Uh, so you're a huge Gretzky fan. Uh, uh, it's,
4: it's an understatement of the word huge. I'm, I'm a Gretzky honk, if so, you will.
2: So what is your most prized piece of Gretzky memorabilia?
4: Oh, man. <clears throat> um, that's a great question. I have a lot, actually. It's funny. I I was doing some spring cleaning recently, and I have a whole kind of drawer of of um Gretzky memorabilia. Mm-hmm. Uh, I I I think my favorite, my favorite, I think is a. I didn't get it. My my dad got it for me. It's a sorry. <clears throat> my father got it for me. No, I can't steal that from you again.
2: That's uh, all
4: right. It's it's a it's an autograph of Gretzky, but he's wearing. Um, it's it's from his very first year in LA, so he doesn't have a letter. Oh wow! On his jersey, and this isn't.
2: <sighs> Brian Roland would love that.
4: I know, right? Exactly. So <laughs> so it's like to me, I I I, I much like uh, our friend on Twitter, Brian Roland. Like I love that brief period of time where. Um, Gretzky didn't wear a letter. I mean it's ridiculous. Like like I think that kind of shows you why the Robbie fatorik era didn't really work. You know, no, like no kidding. Like Fitorik was kind of making Gretzky earn it. I think Dave Taylor on the record was pretty clear like, "Hey man, you you could have the C. Like I'm I'm cool uh with that." But and probably Gretzky because he's so, you know, full of class uh didn't say it. but the but I think slowly throughout that first year in LA he starts wearing an A and then by the next season He's wearing the sea. and so yeah and it's you know it's autographed to me and my dad like I said got it for me and um my i grew up in um in los angeles uh like up like beverly glen like kind of between sherman oaks bel-air area and there's a little Glen center there i don't know if you've ever when's the last time you took beverly glen over the hill but um there's a little like shopping center there that when I was a kid, it was kind of just a neighborhood that had a deli and like a pizza place and a video store. There used to be these things called video stores. And, uh, <laughs> and, and long story short, Gretzky, I don't know. I think he lived in Bel Air at the time. It was before he moved out to the hidden Hills or wherever. And so he would frequent this coffee shop. And I think my, my dad and, and him had become, cause my dad would go to that coffee shop all the time. Cause he worked from the house. Uh, they kind of became eyebrow raise friends, you know, like they would raise their eyebrows at each other as they walked by. And then I think my dad eventually started talking to him. And so, you know, I I, I, I think that's like why it's this cool piece of memorabilia that I have. But I, God, I have a lot of stuff. And I, I don't know, man. I just like it really wasn't until Drew Doughty started playing for the Kings that I watched a player on the Kings the, the way that I watched Gratzky. And that was just completely floored that i got to see this guy play for my home team in every night and that's no shot at kopitar because kopitar is like is is with him but kopitar is is so much more solid and less flashy um than than gretzky ever was and 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 dowdy has a little bit more of that flair so it's so funny because every time i come across people across the country even within la and they see me wearing a king's hat like oh you're a king's fan i'm like yeah Uh, wow, you grew up in LA, you're a Kings fan? I'm like, yeah, but this (laughs) guy played for us eight years named Wayne Gretzky. Like, people don't understand that for eight, not all glorious seasons, but for eight seasons, (laughs) we got to see this guy day in and day out. And, like, you play NHL 18 with me. Like, my signature move is (laughs) is the peel back at the blue line and the shot on net. I mean, that's no coincidence. (laughs) Like, that was... Everyone could talk about Gretzky in his office, which was, was awesome, but for me, it was the quick... Peel at the blue line, like hitting the brakes, top gun style so that everybody <laughs> shoots past you, which I don't think you could do in the current NHL, but you could good back in the 80s and then firing it, you know, on net or uh, a tip in. And he just he just it, it, it must be what it must have been like to to be a Cleveland fan and watch LeBron and just everyone has got that chance to watch those guys that just played a different level. And that's what we got to do. I,
2: I'm f- Fascinated to hear you mention Doughty over Kopitar, but but I think you're right that Doughty has that sort of.
4: I just remember there was like it was like a couple games into the the first season with Doughty, and he just and he doesn't do it as much anymore. But he just did that little three sixty move at the yep. blue line, mm-hmm. and it I just was like what like what where he just did a quick little like spin to keep the puck in at the blue line, and I was just like wow this is like well, it's that
2: it's that improvisational vision, right, yeah. that, that uh, even the greatest players don't necessarily, like a guy like Kopitar who's, you know, look, we've wasted how many hours of time this past season talking about I'm how, not. how he not, should win I'm a heart trophy, but yeah, you know, Doughty comes in and he does that 360 move, or there's, there's that goal he scores in the 2014 Cup run where he takes the feed from Williams and right, tucks it through his legs before, <laughs> before <laughs> digging the goalie out, but I mean I've told this story on the pod before, but <clears throat> my father once Took me to a game against the Rangers. Uh, I I think it was. Uh, I'm blanking on the player's name now. Um, the Montreal Canadiens. Great LeFleur. Oh, and,
4: and honestly, Jesse, I have to be. Every time you tell the story, you forget LeFleur's name. Like I know it's, it's, it's embarrassing. Uncanny. <laughs> but this is given one the, of your most cherished like, I know, memories with your dad and hockey. And every time, you the whole you forget point, Guy name. And the
2: whole point of the story is that I would remember it forever. Um, but anyway, <laughs> but he takes me to this game specifically so that I would have the opportunity for the rest of my life to say that I saw Guy Lafleur play um, and I was young enough that I that it didn't mean anything to me clearly because I <laughs> I don't remember it I guess I was 10 years old um, but but as you mentioned so perfectly about the fact that we got to watch Gratzky uh, the fact that we did get eight years of all of these moments that appear in highlight packages and highlight clips and you know will appear in every, YouTube, you know, video about the greatest moments in NHL history from now on. They'll involve Gretzky, and for a lot of them, you know, you and I were there, right? In the building. I mean, you know, I have, still have my ticket stub from the night he broke
4: for 802. Yeah.
2: And okay, and you know, there's that old story, right? Like 16,000 people will tell you there were, you know, or however many people will tell you were there, but only 16,000 were actually there and it's like <laughs> that that to me is the greatest part of it and and I think it's a testament to how great he was that it's actually a conversation. What's the best moment in Kings history? Like, obviously, winning the cup is the greatest, but was game seven against Toronto? Oh, my God. Better than the Kings oh. beating Chicago in I game that. seven in 2014. <laughs> honestly
4: like... cannot tell you what I had for breakfast today, <laughs> but. Oh, uh, that's a lie. I hit egg whites, but
2: <laughs> I, I,
4: I can tell you exactly where I was when Gretzky scored that hat trick. I yeah. can tell you exactly what I was doing. I mean, that was, yeah. That oh man, I'm like I have that game on DVD somewhere, and I just like want to <laughs> pop it in right now.
2: Yeah, and and you know you joked about it at the beginning, but but he was so impactful that we will have this conversation again five years from now, God willing.
4: Uh, I will not be talking to you in five years, Jesse. Well, I'm,
2: I'm I, may, I may not be here. Five you're you're five lucky years, I'm <laughs> talking to you after
4: 25 to
2: 30. But. but, yeah.
4: Whatever. You're going to be hosting the ESPN, the reporters, and you're going to, you know, be like, uh, we'll have some line lines. Yeah. Uh, 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 tell I'm not here. Tell him not I don't,
2: here. I don't think it's a guarantee that, that sports reporters will be a thing five years from now. <laughs> <laughs> so I think it may just be the, athlete, the athletic presents. Why, why Jesse
4: Cohen <laughs> is writing about Wayne Gretzky for The Athletic. Yeah, that's right. <laughs>
2: Anyway, the half I want to thank you as always for joining me.
4: Uh, so this, yeah, you just drop into my life after a, a couple weeks and stir up all these childhood nostalgia and and disappear. You're you're like hey, uh, you're like the worst version of Hollywood, man. You're just like <laughs> busting out all my nostalgia. And We're talking just,
2: about Matthew Schneider next week. If you want to come, <laughs> if you want to come back. Jewish sports legend Matthew <laughs> Schneider, the, the one and the same. <laughs> anyway, that thanks, okay. <laughs> thanks for joining us and thanks for listening, King so We'll
1: talk to you soon.